So, Dave, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Well, I'm a, an executive assistant at a major pet products company. Dave, I don't want you to tell us what you do. I want you to tell us who you are. Oh, all right. Um, I'm a pretty good guy. I, um, I like playing tennis on occasion. Uh, also, not your hobbies, Dave. Just simple. Tell us who you are. I just... Maybe you could give me an example of what a good answer would be. Um, what did you say? <laughs> you want Lou to tell you who you are. <laughs> no, I just... Uh, I'm a nice, easygoing man. I might be a little bit indecisive at times. Um, Dave, you're describing your personality. I want to know who you are. I don't know what you want me to say. I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I want to answer your question. Just not, not doing it right, I, I guess. I think we're getting a picture, Dave. Let's move on. Well, good morning. Man, it's so good to see you, South Campus, our online family in North Campus. Great question for you this morning. Who are you? Now, I understand that the scene you just saw was made probably before many of you were born, because some of you are saying, Adam Sandler looks really young. And let's be honest, Jack Nicholson's looked the same for like three decades, right? So really doesn't matter. Hear me, I'm not recommending the movie to you. I haven't seen it, nothing like that. Don't plan to watch it. I just saw the scene, and I was intrigued by the interaction that they had, because let's be honest, if we were asked who we are, most of us would have answered the same way as Dave in the scene. I mean, if it's somebody I don't know and they say, tell us about yourself, tell us who you are, you're going to talk about your job, you're going to talk about your family, you're going to talk about the basics of life. But the counselor, albeit in an unhealthy and inappropriate way, the counselor pressed the guy to go a little deeper than is the norm. And though, again, that was an unhealthy interaction, I want to challenge us this morning. What if we dared do that and went a little deeper? But you don't have to tell anybody your answer. You're not interacting with anyone but yourself. But come on, when you look in the mirror and you go beyond the surface level to deep within, who do you believe you are? Please hear me, what we believe about that, that answer deep within, I'm not talking about just the informational level thing, that answer deep within is one of the most important things about us. In fact, I would tell you there are two things that are most important about our lives. Number one, when you think of God, what do you think of? Who do you think of? And number two, when you think of yourself, who do you believe you are? And before you think I just got all psychological on you, think of the great commandment of Jesus. When asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, who God is. And the second command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So your capacity to love yourself and see yourself as God sees you is, the, is a part of the way that we live out our mission in life. So deep within, who do you think you are? It's one of the most important questions you can answer. See, our life, when we look down the road, whether we expect 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, the end of our life will be the sum of the decisions, the choices that we make in life. And the way we truly answer that question, who am I, 
is foundational to the daily decisions that we are going to make. There's something in us that will drive us. And I know that sounds like an extreme statement, but I am telling you, according to the scripture, I don't think I'm far off at all. Tucked away in the Old Testament book of Isaiah is an amazing statement that God made to Israel of old, but he doesn't just make it to Israel, he makes it to you and I. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were what? Unwilling. Unwilling to do what? Unwilling to return. I mean, look at that. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In essence, in returning and rest, you will begin to live as I designed you to live from the beginning. If I may, in returning, you will find rest. Returning to what? Believe it or not, it is returning to the only source that can truly answer the question, who am I? The fundamental problem of the world, I believe, is that we are attempting to find our identity in so many places other than the only place it can be found. It was true of Israel of old, and it is true of us today. Think for a moment where people try to find their identity. Maybe we need to think beyond ourselves for a moment because it's kind of hard sitting in this environment to be immensely honest with ourselves, but think just the world in general. If you're saying, where do people find their identity? Where would it be? I think I can list five things. You could probably have some more. Like, I would start with the idea of items. Stuff. At the turn of the 20th century, a sociologist by the name of Thurston Veblen. It's quite a name, isn't it? By the way, there might be like expectant parents here and you're thinking we don't know what to name our kid and we are looking for a sign from God on what to name our child. Listen to me, parent. It is not Thurston, okay? You got probably a cool name in 1901, but do not put that upon your kid today. Anyway, Thurston made this statement about the world. Sociologists still talk about today when he talked about the idea of conspicuous consumption. He argued that the primary way we in the Western world gain social prestige, the essence of being someone in the midst of the crowd, is through the conspicuous buying of stuff. In other words, we buy stuff, whether that stuff be automobiles, houses, clothes, things such as that. We buy those things to convince ourselves and to convince others that I am someone. Now, you might be thinking, well, David, are you saying is it wrong to have stuff? By no means. I am no way trying to swing the pendulum to another extreme. But the question is, what is driving us to buy so much, especially when so often it's what we cannot afford? I mean, if we got really honest, we would all probably say debt is an issue in the United States of America. Now, probably our first thought when we say we have a debt problem in our nation, we think of our national debt. And hear me, that is an issue that needs to be looked at. But let's press it beyond the nation to ourselves. There are a lot of people wrestling with debt. Who would say, I know it's unhealthy for me to carry so much debt. I know there's going to be problems for me in the future. I know the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender, but yet we still do it. What's driving our choices like that? Another area that we look at is just the do's in life. The things that we accomplish. I mean, have you ever wondered why the standard answer to how are you doing in America is not fine? Though that's a good answer. Often people say, busy. Because if I say I'm busy, I'm what? I'm important. 
I'm someone because busy people, important people are busy and I want to be an important person so therefore I'm busy. And so we're filling our lives. Have you wondered why it is we're filling our lives with so much stuff? While we're going, 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 we fill our calendars, we fill our kids' calendars and schedule with so much activity. Now again, hear me. I'm not saying that we should just stop life and live on the couch all the time. I understand that we have roles, and those roles that God's called us to have responsibilities. They have actions that we need to take. So if you're a spouse, you have responsibility. If you're a parent, you obviously have responsibility. If you're a worker, if you're an employer, whatever the case may be, if you're a friend, we have responsibility. And just like stuff, those responsibilities can be great. Doing those in an honorable way can actually be an act of worship. But why do we struggle to draw boundaries? I mean, I can't tell you how many parents have told me, I was like, I understand that my kid doesn't have to do everything their friends are doing, but I just can't say no. Or husbands who will tell me, I know I, I need to be better at working shorter hours. I know in my business I, I can't work all this time because I gotta be a husband, I gotta be a father, I gotta be things like that. I just can't stop. Why? What is driving us? Another area we look is we look at others. We look at relationships. So many people find their identity in their relationship status. The number of friends or followers they have on a social media account. The likes or the responses we get from a post. You don't know how common it is for people to make a post and then they start looking at that post. How many people like it? How many people are commenting on it? How many people are interacting with it, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there are boys that are the boys that just have to have a girlfriend kind of boys. There are girls that just have to have a boyfriend kind of girl. You know what I'm saying? It's all about this relationship. Again, God made us for community. God made us for friendships. But hear me, we move in life and people are still struggling with the idea of peer pressure and they're 50 years old. We have words like codependency, people pleasing, being a person who fears what others think about our lives. Why? What is driving that in our lives? Another place people look in our society looks. Man, we are an image-based culture. In fact, we like to say of our culture, you look good. if you look good, you feel good. You are good in life. Now, I'm gonna say it one more time. Don't swing the pendulum to the opposite extreme. I'm all for you, like using a brush on your hair, okay? I think that's a good thing. I, I am all for like putting an iron to a shirt, and I am for showers, amen? Like, if we ever have to ration water, we're not gonna have to because we're gonna keep praying and God's gonna provide grace of water on our land, amen? But if we did, I'm just telling you right now, my vote, the last thing we wanna give up is showers. You got it? So I am all for that. But if who I am, my essence, is tied to my looks, and in our society, it's not just tied to your looks, it's tied to looking as young as you can. For those of us getting a little long in the tooth, that's an issue. That's a problem, because I've discovered that the older I get, my body changes, and not in a way that is favorable to a society that says I want youthful appearance. You know what I'm saying? Like, even my hormones, I mean, I want my hormones to work right. My hormones used to grow hair from here up. And then like at 40, it switched and it just wanted to go down. And now it grows hair from here down, not here up. There are stuff that's just gonna change in your body. Dudes, I hate to tell you, look at your grandpa's picture of when they were young. And you're gonna say, grandpa didn't have big ears when he was young. Your ears are gonna grow. Your nose is gonna grow. That is the reality of just how things are in life. If we, if we tie our identity to the way we look, especially looking younger, it's gonna be problematic. No matter how well you eat, though I'm, good, I'm for you eating well, no matter how much you work out, work out, no matter how much plastic surgery you get, why are so many of us looking, working so hard on the way we look? And then you take the last one, 
struggles. I know that sounds strange to us, but many people tie who they are to issues of their past. Our family dysfunction, our addictions, our failures, our lack. Maybe when you were growing up, you had somebody significant just look at you and say, you're a mistake. You're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. And when you look in the mirror, you still hear that voice. Or maybe it wasn't somebody who said it. It was just the voice of the accuser. And when you look in the mirror, you hear the accuser's voice. Pervert, whore, druggie, addict. Believe it or not, our, our past is definitely a part of who we are, but it's not the essence of who we are. Now, do the radical here. Just take the first letter of each of these words and put a circle around it. And you get what? Idols. Isn't that amazing? It's almost like that was on purpose. Yeah. See, listen to me. You take these four words right here. There is nothing wrong with any of those four things. In fact, I would challenge you, God gave each of those as a gift. Even our looks, because our looks are meant to attract each other. There's an essence of our looks that we're supposed to be attractive to one another. Read the Song of Solomon if you don't believe these. Each of these things is for our good. And I'm going to challenge once our struggles get to Jesus, even our struggles, we're going to find out God uses them for his grace and our good. But if God gives us these things for our good, but when we take the things that God has given to us for our good and we try to get something out of them that they were never designed to have, they become an idol and they ultimately fail in life. I mean, come on, so many of us have more things than we ever thought we could get in life and there's still a hole in our soul. Some of us have busied our life. We've become successful in our careers. We've performed and we've performed and we've performed and we're still weary and burdened within. Some of us, man, we got that relationship we were looking for. I got the ring. I got the title Mr. or Mrs. or something like that. I have that significant others. And some of us, man, we've worked hard. Woo! We've worked hard. And we still find our soul restless. Why? They were never designed to do what we're trying to have them do. They were never designed to give us identity. When we seek to find our identity... In these things, we find ourselves restless. That's why God says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust, you shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Unwilling to do what? Unwilling to return. Return to what? The answer, if you wish to look at it, is throughout the entire 30th chapter of Isaiah. You can read it this week, but it's obvious in verse 1. Ah, stubborn, what's the word? Children declares the Lord. You carry out a plan, but it's not my plan. You make an alliance, but it's not of my spirit. I didn't lead you heaping sin upon sin. You see, the foundation of the issue of Israel and why they lived in restlessness is the same one we have today. Restlessness results from a refusal to see myself as a child of God. And right there, some of us are thinking, come on, David, give me something new. I know I am a child of God. If you will trust me, I've been doing this thing in church for a long time. 43 years of following Jesus, 35 years of pastoral ministry. I've done thousands, worked with thousands and thousands of people. And I'm gonna tell you, we've worked with many, many, many issues and many of them press back to this reality right here. See, we know in our minds at an informational level that this is true, but in our spirits, we struggle far more than we think we do. Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are 
children of God. And right now you're probably nodding your head and going, yeah, 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 I know I'm a God's child. But you know that the scripture doesn't stop there? It's almost as if <clears throat> the apostle is telling us, hey, you think you know this, but you really don't know it. Not to the level you need to know it, because it says in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Say adoption. It's an important word for you and I. And as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Question, why does the Spirit of God need to tell us that we are his children? If I'd ask you this morning to list 10 things you need the Spirit of God to do in your life, 10 things that God would do that you need to have happen in your existence, I bet none of us would have put this on the top 10 list. And yet that's exactly what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God is bearing witness, trying to get into the deepest part of who we are, trying to convince us that we are children of God. And it's not just a one-time thing. In the original language in which the New Testament was written, it was actually written in Greek. Old Testament written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. The Greeks had this way of writing a verb. That when the original readers read it, that they would know whether it was a one-time event or an ongoing event. This bears witness is actually in the verb tense that it's ongoing. So you can read it, the Spirit himself continually bears witness, like right now. The Spirit of God is at work. And to the deep parts of our being, he's trying to convince us what we say is true. God's Spirit is daily, regularly, probably more than once a day, seeking to convince each of us as we follow Jesus that we are really God's children. Why? I mean, come on, of all the things where we feel like we need supernatural intervention, this would be not one of them. We think this is way below his pay grade. Why is it such a big deal? Back to that word in verse 15, adoption. On September 10th, 2009, my wife and I had our third child Born to us, if I may, not in a hospital, but in a courtroom in East Texas. The journey that got us to that place did some things inside of me. Not just preparing me to be a father to my daughter, but believe it or not, showing some reasons in my life that I was struggling to let God truly live as father in my life. I learned that many adopted children struggle to really believe that they're part of the family. Though legally they were in the courtroom and legally they know that they were adopted into the family emotionally, spiritually, deep within, they struggled to believe this is reality. You see, our daughter Zoe came to us from the Texas foster system. She was eight years old um, when she came into our family. We had to go through the training that foster parents rightfully have to go through. You shouldn't just hand a kid that you don't know to anyone. We agree with that, right? Even if it's not a perfect system, it's better than not doing anything. In that training, they started talking about a thing called RAD. Not this um, old slang term that is short for radical, like that's RAD, dude. Not that, it's an acronym, Reactive Attachment Disorder. And what they were saying is basically because of abuse and abandonment early on in kids' life, they start having an a prior assumption in their brain, and that a prior assumption is this, I'm gonna be rejected. Subconscious, often don't know it, but you think about it. If you have a struggle situation, mom and dad are there, and then not there. For whatever reason, you begin to think, I'm gonna be rejected. So when they begin to feel an attachment, especially to a mother or father figure, you know what they begin to do? They begin to push away. 
they begin to push and push and push. Why? Because they know, maybe not be able to verbalize it, but they know one day I'm going to be rejected. And so if I'm going to be rejected one day anyway, I might as well be the one in control and I'm going to make it happen on my turns. Hear me. It is a common issue in adoption. We see it again and again. We, we are committed as a church family that we're going to see God move in the area of having those that are without homes brought into homes. Like we, we have part of our dream. We want to see every kid that has to go into the foster system in um, the big country, in area code 325, we believe that there is a Christ-centered, spirit-filled home for them in their area. Now, I don't know if you know the numbers, but that means we would need about 750 families that could be a part of that. I think the Church of Jesus, all of us, not Beltway, the totality of the Church of Jesus, I think we can do that. I think those 750 families exist, and I think there's three or four families per family to support them in that process. That's 2,500, 3,000 families. It's not uh, a nearly close to an impossible number around here. We have that dream. Some of you are called to that. Not everyone. But some of you, maybe you are called to that or you're interested in that, you just go to foster325.org. You know, 325 is our area code, foster325.org. You can look at it there. We're doing stuff. Like we, we bought a whole building over on 20, South 23rd in Willis. You can drive by it. You can pray for it. It was Brook Hall Christian Church. Now we call it Beltway Park Ministry Center. It is going to become a daycare that has openings for foster kids because one of the big issues for foster families is if a foster kid comes in, we have no place to put our kid if both of us work. We're going to try to res help resolve that issue and lead the way in there. We're going to have a counseling center designed just for children and teens. It's going to be the primary focus of what we do. It. We've been talking about it. Some of you are saying, where are we on the building? We are stuck. So pray that we would get unstuck in the planning and construction and all that, and we're going to open it up soon for everybody to walk in and pray for, etc. I want you to hear the goal of fostering is always this. We want to see restoration and renewal in the family. That's part of the dream that when the church gets involved, we're going to see biological families renewed and restored in Jesus. Parents who were not able to care for their kids, we're gonna see them changed by the power of Jesus Christ and be able to care for their kids and break generational curses that have happened in their life. But you know what? Sometimes that's not gonna happen. And what's gonna happen sometimes, not always, sometimes is we're gonna have this thing called adoption. We've seen it again and again. Here's what we've discovered. It's very common for a child to be adopted but still live with the mindset of an orphan. It is very common for a child to know the legal date of their adoption, to be able to process it in their mind, but in the end, they live with the mindset of an orphan, a mindset that says, I'm on my own, that I can't really rely on anyone else. You see, there's something within the human spirit that rebuffs against adoption, but it's not just in the physical realm. Listen to me. It happens all the time in the spiritual realm. There are many, many people who sit in churches, and if you ask them, am I a child of God, they would go, yeah, I remember the date I was saved. But when you get deep within, and we get to that place of identity, we are striving to find our identity, because we keep buying the stuff and selling ourselves into a slavery of the future with our debt. Why? Why is it that we struggle to take time off? Half of all Americans don't use the totality of their vacation time. Why? We talk about this great benefit, but we won't take it because something is driving us. Why do we have inappropriate relationships? Why do we find ourselves doing things in relationships we know that we should not be doing? We're looking for stuff. Why are we striving so much in our looks? I mean, some of us are killing ourselves. I mean, some of us, we look at life and say, man, when my hair looks good, I feel good, I'm good, I'm strong, I'm important, like me right now. I got a good hair day going, right? See it? I work hard on this. Y'all giggle at that. I wash it like every day. 
and I do this three times and we're there. I get a new set of clothes, fit right. I'm something. I have that relationship. I'm someone. I buy that thing. I'm someone. And then it fails me. Why? Why are we looking at those things? Because within everyone, I'm not saying every Jesus follower, but I'm telling you, this is more of an issue. If you'll just trust me, if you'll trust my experience, this is more of an issue than we know. Most Jesus followers deep within struggle to believe they're really God's child. Like really, really am God's child to the level. Really believe that I am loved of God. There's a reason the apostle Paul prayed. I pray that you have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Why do we have to have the Holy Spirit show us the depths of God's love? Because we struggle to believe it. It's one thing to say God loves you. Do you think God wants you like right now? Some of you think, yeah, I went to church today. He wants me. That's performance-based. What about when you didn't go to church? I know. I'm not trying to get onto the online family right now. I'm not saying anything, okay? But that morning you wake up and just say, man, I ain't doing it today. Does God want you today? When you say no to that temptation on the computer, yeah, God wants me that day. But what about when you give in to it? You hearing it? We struggle deep within to believe that God wants me, that I'm really part of the family. Because we look at our lives. I know the things I've done and how hideous they are. I know the thoughts that are in these heads that are contrary to the ways of God. I know the struggles I still have, and I think I should be further along in that. And I see other people, and they seem like they follow Jesus so much better than I do. And then you add to it just all the things that happen in this world that seem so problematic and so difficult. And they all add up to make us believe, if we're not careful, that God, yeah, loves me, kind of. And God wants me, sort of, but not really. Not part of the family. Not like the biological kid. Not like Jesus. I need you to hear me today. This is foundational. If you want to live the restful life, you better get this and you better let God do a work in your life. You'll never get there. There is no other way. The scripture says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, not a husband or wife's will, but born of the Almighty. See, this is massive. In Jesus, it is the work of Jesus does this great thing that we become a child of God. And the work Jesus does is far grander, far more glorious than our minds can even begin to imagine. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. God did not give you a spirit to make you a slave again to fear, but a spirit of adoption. Say adoption. Where we, by which we might cry out, not our Father, but Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Then the verse goes on. Now since we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and what? Co-heirs with Jesus. When God divvies up what he's going to give out. Now, please don't take the image too far. God's not going to die. But when God divvies up to his children, you get the same thing as Jesus. And right now you're saying, not me. 
not me. Because I'm not really part of the family. See, I struggle with this. And it's why the Spirit must continually bear witness, must remind us what? You're my child. You're mine. I want you, says Daddy. And when that gets in us, listen to me, when that begins to shape our mind, everything shifts. I move from performance to having to earn the love of God. So many of us are striving to earn the love of God, and he just wants us to receive it because that's what a good father does. He gives us his love. We move from needing the approval of others. I'll be honest with you. I want you to like what I do every Sunday. And I can move into the wrong place and think, I've really got to get your approval. But really, at the end of the day, I just need to step out of here and say, Daddy, did I do what you wanted me to do? Did I do it? That's all I need. It's from him. We move from a place of jealousy when other people receive. Move from competition. My dad owns everything. He's going to give me everything I need when I need it. And you know what? Some things he's withholding from me because I can't handle it. It's not good for me. It's not my calling. It's not what I have. But I know he has everything I need, and he'll give it to me, whatever I need. We move from having to prove our worth. So many of us are just trying to prove to the world we're worth something. And God's saying, you're worth the price of my life. And we live in that. You say, do I deserve it? I don't. You don't but he paid that price for us. That's how much he wants you and I. We move from mistrusting authority to being able to actually submit to authority, even human authority, because we believe our God, our Father, is sovereign over all things, and he can even use imperfect governments. He can use imperfect leadership to do his work. We move from self-reliance. Oh, you want to know the heart of the orphan spirit? It is self-reliance. If it is to be, it's up to me. I'm going to do what I want, when I want to do it, and if I'm going to take care of it, I'm going to take care of it myself. Does it sound familiar to anybody's faith journey? And what if I just trust? Abba's got it. We move from restlessness, listen to me, to the rest of a little child in a healthy family. Rest in our souls. Because I know I am fully loved and accepted by God because of Jesus. My future is secure. God is working in all things for my good. And I know that my life will have purpose and significance simply because I am God's child. In 2005, uh, Mike Daggs, my business partner and I, we started a business, uh, Tutton Daggs Corporate Speakers. And for several years, we have traveled and spoke and done uh, leadership development, staff training, motivational speaking, keynote speeches, things like that. We're really just kind of the hype guys. And over the years, uh, have just really kind of become known as just that speaker guy. In about maybe 2018, started building some homes. And during that time, we kind of started moving into, because we felt like we were great at customer service, we would be great at building houses. Well, as you all well know, COVID hits, and in 2020, the corporate speaking went away. And so Mike and I find ourselves literally throwing everything we have into being home builders. And at that point, our identity, or my identity, was really trying to be the best home builder that, that we could be. And as you guys know, following 2020, uh, 
lumber goes through the roof, uh, escalation goes out of sight, and that became very difficult. Uh, I was not in a depression, but my identity has always been based on performance, and I want people to be happy. I want people to be excited about what we're doing, and it's the first time in my life I found myself uh, really I was held captive by the people that were working for us. Um, if they didn't show up, if they didn't do the work, if they didn't charge the right price, I was really out of control. And it really started wearing on me because my identity back to being the builder that I wanted to be, that Mike and I both wanted to be, it was virtually impossible. And I did find myself uh, in, a, in a bad place as far as being sad, not understanding why I was not enjoying this. I've always been a person that was very happy and, and loved life. I remember specifically thinking to myself, Kevin, why are you not in control? Why are you not in control of what you're doing and how you, what you do for a living? And then the bigger question was this, Kevin, why is God not in control? And the minute that I realized God is already proud of me, I was working in performance for, for people, trying to, trying to make sure that they were, were happy with me, that they were excited about what we were doing, rather than realizing I've already got an A plus from God. I'm already good enough. I, we're already doing great things. And I just had to have that peace. And I was able to find peace. I literally able to find peace, realizing I can't control the things that I can't control, but God's already set me up. I'm a, I'm a child. I I'm, I'm, have sonship. Uh, with the, the creator of the universe. It didn't help things go faster. It didn't help anything get any better, but it simply put me in a space where I realized it's gonna be okay. It's literally, really, it's gonna be okay. And I found peace with that. My identity is not based on my performance. My, my identity has already been decided. And having that peace that passes understanding, and that's what uh, Mike and I talk about a lot. I talk about that with my wife, Marcy. The fact is, I have found a peace that passes understanding because there is chaos. I will tell you right now in home building, there is significant amount of chaos. Just trying to get material, trying to get people to work, trying to, when it's too dry, when it's too wet, foundation's cracking because we're having a drought. Now we're having, it's just on and on and on. But I've just realized, you know what? God's got this. And I have found great peace in those times. Can you say amen to that? You know what he just described? He described that he got to a point through COVID, like many of us, that he started sitting in the second chair. And God, in his grace, moved him back to chair one. And if right now you are saying, I have no idea what you mean by chair one and chair two, you've got some reading to do this week. It's talked about in the introduction, the first chapter of the book we're journeying in. It's a great image. It's all it is is an image. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you will find the way I designed you to live. You'll be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your what? Strength. But you were unwilling. Question. What if we became willing? I mean, what if we just said, God, I want to repent and return and shift my mindset? The scripture says in Ephesians 4, so put off the old man, put on the new man, and you do it 
by renewing the attitude of your mind. Isn't that an interesting phrase, the attitude of your mind? It's just the posture of your mind. What posture am I gonna live from? What way am I gonna view everything? And what if that posture was that of a child? I told you last week, I'll tell you every week, rest is more about what you believe than what you do. It is why you can take a great week's vacation and come back and you're just as unrested when you get back as when you were there when you left. It's why you can take days off. You can do this and you can do that, but still not feel rested because there's a rest that has to go deep within. And it comes from a mindset. It comes from that of a child. Remember when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Earlier in verse 25, he said, Father, I thank you that you have revealed these things to little children. You've kept them from the wise and the learned, but you reveal them to not just children, but little children. Wonder, what would it do if deep within, if at the core of our being, at the very foundation of who we are, we knew that we knew that we knew we are a child of God. And somebody asks you the question, who are you? You're probably not gonna answer out loud. But what if inside, when somebody said, who are you? Something went off inside and said, I'm a child of the king of the universe. My daddy holds everything in the palm of his hand. Governments rise and fall only because he says it could happen. And he says, I can come close to him anytime because I'm his child. I can approach the throne of grace and mercy anytime because of who I am. He is at work in all things in my life for the good of those who love him. He's taken my hand and he's walking me through life. And when he does that, I'm going to have everything I need whenever I need it. And I'm going to do everything he has destined me on planet earth to do because there's a power working inside of me that is greater than the power in the world. What if that just began to explode in our brain? Now maybe with your mouth you say, my name's David McQueen and I'm married for 37 years and I've got three kids and I've got four grandkids that are the prettiest grandkids that have ever existed. And... We did that, but inside, deep in me, it's a simple truth. The Spirit bears witness, and you say, yes, Spirit of God, you're right. I am a child of the King. His. I am loved in a way my mind all of eternity will not be able to imagine. My future is secure whether the stock market sits at 35,000 or 30,000. Getting personal yet? And I am going to live and do things beyond what I can imagine because his powers at work in me. You sit there, you enter the restful life. You don't sit there, you will find rest in no other way because we were designed by the Almighty to live it as his children. So let's do this. We gotta go. Let's bow our heads. Online right now, join in with us. Everybody bow their heads. And it's just real simple. If you want grace to live more as a child of God, ask him for it right now. You want that mindset. You wanna sit in the first chair and all the implications of that. Don't miss this. Some of you right now, I just I rebuke this idea that says, well, I know this, and so I need new information. I am telling you, what most of us need is not new information, but we need spiritual revelation of that which we know in our minds. 
It needs to get in the core of our being. It needs to move, as we used to say, from our heads to our hearts. Because I've worked with a lot of people in a lot of situations, and the foundational struggle is that we know in one sense that I'm a child of God, we don't get it deep within. Would you ask for God for that revelation to move deep inside of you, that would root inside of you, that in the bad times, in the difficult times, when things aren't going the way that I want, I can still rest that I am his child. Maybe there are some areas where you have looked for your identity. I do. Man, I've been convicted. There's a whole nother level of depth. When I went through the idols that I listed, all of them but looks. To be honest with you, looks is not my issue because I ain't got a lot to work with. I'm okay with that. But all the others, stuff, performance, oh, oh, performance is mine. I can fall to it. Relationships can even identify with struggles, not my identity. If you would say to God right now, you're honestly mean it, and you say, God, I need grace. I want to sit in the first chair. I need grace to receive in a greater way and live from the reality, the confidence, the certainty, the rest that I am your child in Jesus. Put your hand up right now and say, God, give me that grace. Man, me too. Me too. You can put your hand down. And maybe... There's someone in here who's never become a child of God. See, I know we like to say in our world that every human is a child of God, and I get why we say that, because every human is created in the image of God, but the truth is, outside of Jesus, we're not his child. Sin caused us to be separated from God and outside the family. We were orphaned because of our sin. So only when we embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we become his follower do we become his child. But here's reality. God wants you right now. When I was in that courtroom in East Texas with my daughter, she was um, 10 years old at the time, I'm sorry, nine and a half at the time. And the judge went through all this stuff about us adopting her and everything we agreed to and we said yes to it. And then he did something I didn't know he was gonna do. He actually turned to her and said, do you wanna be adopted into this family? Do you wanna become a child of this family? I didn't expect that. I didn't know what she was gonna say. I thought, man, she might like just blow the whole gig right here. <laughs> But it was a great image because basically we stood in front of a judge and said, we want this child. We desire this child. So we choose this child. But not only did we have to choose the child, the child had to choose us. And that's what we do in Jesus. I promise you, he is saying right now, I want you. I choose you. Will you say yes to my choosing? And if you've never said yes to his choosing and you want to say, God, I say yes. I'll give my life to you. I'll become your follower. I'll become part of your family. And I will live as yours, a child of the king. And you want to do it right now. I want you to do something brave. I want you to do something bold. I just want you to stick your hand up right now. Come on. Wherever you are, you say, I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never done it. Praise be to God. All over. Praise be. Put your hand down. I can feel the joy of the Father in each and every one of you. Father, I thank you that you love us. I'm overwhelmed. I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be imparted to us. We would not miss this. But that we could live from the revelation that you are our Father, we are your child. More than we would ever care for our own children, and more than we would ever love them, you love us and you care for us. And we say, oh God, we never cease to want to be little children before you. 
You are amazing. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.